Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I'm Bill Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Lisa Feria is the CEO of Stray Dog Capital, a venture capital firm that is focused on driving alternatives to the use of animals in the supply chain through investments, expertise, and support. Lisa's passion for changing the food system is easy to recognize. And in this conversation, she dives into how innovators and entrepreneurs are gradually tipping the scales with plant-based products. Working with entrepreneurs to de-risk their new companies is one of Lisa's main goals. And in this interview, she provides some crucial insights that can help anyone trying to break into the food space. Some of the topics we cover include what is a $50 million plan and why all entrepreneurs seeking investment should have one what traits Lisa looks for in entrepreneurs, and how she decides if they would be a good fit for investment. She also shares some common pitfalls and roadblocks that many new companies face, and the one thing she believes all entrepreneurs should have. Lastly, Lisa gives her take on trends and opportunities in the plant-based food space, as well as her predictions for the future of food. Lisa lives by the idea that if you plant the seeds for change, in time they will come to fruition. After this interview, I certainly believe that there will be a powerful wave of change coming in the food system. Thanks to Lisa and the incredible work Spraydog Capital is doing. Lisa Ferrier, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Lisa, I'm going to start right in the beginning. I, I know you grew up in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard that your mom had a philosophy um, while, while you were young called planting seeds. Uh, why don't we start there? Wow, you really have done your research. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, my mom, who actually just visited us in Kansas, she just left yesterday. Um, I mean, she, my dad was doing school, so she basically raised me almost all on her own. And she had this philosophy of really exposing me to all kinds of different experiences and activities. So she would take me to dance classes and musical, you know, classes and all kinds of stuff, um, all the way to, you know, computer engineering courses. I was exposed to so many things growing up and, um, she never articulated this way, but as I, as I grew up and became an adult, I realized that. Some of those things, even though at that moment it didn't really result in me being a world-class, you know, swimmer or something like that, it really ended up uh, bearing fruit a lot later in life. You know, there were things in there, um, for example, dancing that I did for a little bit and then it sort of went dormant. And when I was an adult and I, you know, did a dance class again, I was just so filled with joy. It just sprouted, you know, there's, and, and that was just an example of many different things that she just exposed me to and then eventually just became such an important enriching part of my life. 
Oh, that's a great way. I mean, I think our current education system does a total disservice to, to kids. Um, and I think uh, in a, in a interesting way, you're do planting seeds now uh, with, uh, <laughs> with your focus on investment in, um, in the food industry. And uh, we'll see which um, seeds are worth putting energy into and which right. you can cultivate into. That's right. Um, tree, uh, plants and trees that will last for a long time. So we'll talk more about that today. That's the whole focus. Um, let's talk about how you got involved in Stray Dog. I know you had a whole um, pretty successful career before that. Uh, Stray Dog Capital, how did this opportunity come about and, and why did you take it? Sure. So I actually, I'm an engineer and by, by my, my background is in engineering. So I did food manufacturing uh, as sort of my first career in General Mills. And I did that for a while. Engineering, process engineering, you know, very, very nerdy, very nerdy. As a matter of fact, I met my husband in the computer room of our engineering college. It was extra nerdy. <laughs> Um, and so then I, you know, after doing that for a while, I realized that I really wanted more of the, the bigger, larger picture. And then I got my MBA, moved into general management at Procter & Gamble. And I was working in the paper division at Procter. Um, and the paper division at Procter is very important to the company. It's really large and it's very profitable. And we were sort of uh, keeping an eye on PETA and Greenpeace because they'd done campaigns against our competitors and, you know, keeping an eye meant me just looking at their websites and seeing if they were writing anything that they were going to say about us. Um, and so one day I was in PETA's website and I saw the video done by Bruce Friedrich and his team, <laughs> ironically, who I work with all the time now, um, called Meet Your Meat. Mm -hmm. And I had a total... Um, uh, matrix moment of swallow the pill. You're inside the big robot with things coming out of your arms. You're, I was like, there's no way this is, this is true. There's no way <laughs> this is like, it, it is done this way. And you know, the information is out there. So I went and found it and I was like, I'm not participating in this. Um, I'm going to become a vegetarian, but where, how is the egg, egg system done? You know? Mm -hmm. And then, so you, you know how it is. Once you open yeah. a door, you're like, well, what's over there? You know? And so then I would start opening the doors and being like, I don't want to participate in that either. That's terrible. <laughs> and so I eventually became a vegan. Um, and within Proctor, it was interesting because, you know, it was, it, it, this is totally my perception of it, but I was one of two vegans and thousands, among thousands of people <laughs> in my division. And vegans were considered sort of like people that live in Berkeley, yeah. work Birkenstocks, you know, like that's, they're not here at PNG. And so it was a great opportunity for me to not only, you know, be around other people and be like, hey, you're my colleague, I respect you, you're like me and you're vegan. So mm -hmm. let me understand that. So there must be a reason. And so being able to just educate other people and talk about my beliefs, it was fantastic. Even training the catering group on, hey, don't put bacon on everything, you know, <laughs> let's put it on the side for people that want it and, and, and the, the dressing and just like even at that level. And this was not that many years ago. Um, you know, once you get into a community and that kind of ties together, if you eventually are going to ask me about why am I in Kansas and not <laughs> in California, that kind of all ties together. You have to be in the community yeah. to really exact the change. I really believe that. You're and my so, first guest from Kansas, by the way. So. <laughs> yes, I do look hundred <laughs> percent like a Kansan. I get that all the time. Um, and so I, I, at some point I said, okay, you know what? I really want to do this. I want to pursue this full time. I want to do this in my life. And, um, you know, like it just happened that I met the people that run the firm and they're one of those people that you just have to work with. They're amazing human beings. I want to grow up and be like them. They're just amazing people. 
And um, it's funny because I got on the plane from Cincinnati. I told my husband, we're not moving to Kansas City. Like, don't worry. I just want to meet with them, you know. <laughs> and then I came back. I'm like, so when I said we're not moving. <laughs> um, and which it, year was this? This was. So this was almost three years ago. Okay. Yeah. Not that long ago. Yeah. But my husband, he's vegan as well. Um, my kids are vegan. And so it became more of a. Uh, I don't want to call it a calling because it seems so highbrow, but just something yeah. that we really wanted to dedicate our lives to. And doing. how many years from the point when you saw the uh, Meet Your Meat video mm-hmm. to you ending up at Straight Out Capital? Probably two-ish years. Oh, wow. So all this happened fairly recently. Is yes. Recent? Yeah. It was like boom, bam, boom. You know, wow. once you open that door, you're like, oh. What weren't you once you concerned uh getting into stray dog and and now i know that was your f- first time you were going to be a venture capital correct yes venture capitalist you hadn't done that before yeah uh also focused on something that not many people or anyone was doing which is investing in companies that are trying to um replace animals or, or actually get rid of animals from our right. food system right correct and replace them with other alternatives um what yeah how is that was that an easy decision because I, I asked this question because i yeah. most people in who are doing what they're doing now whether investors or founders of companies in the space they yeah. aren't weren't all born mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing right. that this is what they were going to oh, do absolutely. and also the world and i wouldn't say the world has changed that much mm-hmm. but still a lot of people think it's kind of bizarre yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. being vegan is kind of bizarre and just choosing not to eat animals is sort of bizarre i obviously disagree but but that's the world we live in right yeah, absolutely. now absolutely yeah, you know, I think, uh, and I tell this to entrepreneurs all the time who are, who are you know, there's some entrepreneurs, um, there's one of them that I talked to last week who works at a really large financial company, obviously, you know, probably makes a lot of money and has a lot of security, is a high performer, da, 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 da. And he's like, I really feel like I want to do this other thing, which is start a company and basically mm-hmm. give all that up. And he's like, but I don't know. And here's all the pros. Here's all the cons. Here's my list. You know, here's like all the things over here. And here's what my husband, my wife said. And here's, and I said, look, when, when there's a decision like this, it's never, and at least in my experience, it wasn't a black or white, absolutely, or absolutely yes, or absolutely no. It's, it's a certain percent. Um, this is what I think I want to do with my life. Here's what I think I, my blessings that I, that, that God gave me, I should be using that for. And there's a huge huge piece of faith like mm-hmm. you just got to lean in um and 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 believe that this is what you're supposed to do so there's you know the certainty is never going to be 100 percent there mm-hmm. there's an element of like this is what i should be doing and i believe that things will work out if i work and improve you know i, I didn't know about venture capital mm-hmm. in terms of like that wasn't something that i thought i would go do and I said, you know what, I'm going to figure it out because this is what I want to do. And I want to help animals and humans and the planet. And I can't imagine a better way to do it than this. Yeah. I mean, to anyone listening who ha- is sort of grappling with that same question, um, I've been there too, um, leaving a career which seemed pretty, was up on, a, was on, was on the way up. Mm-hmm. Um, and to take the risk to start something because I believed in it everyone who starts anything has to encounter that and um you know uh if you really believe in something and you're passionate enough you will figure out a way to make it work and and also what's the worst that can happen you'll get another job if it fails right absolutely or if you know if if you decided to invest in uh, companies that are disrupting animal agriculture and there weren't any out there (laughs) you could have gone back and done something else so it's worth the risk um 
at least try it. And if yeah. you fail, then that's fine. It's okay to fail. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I um, sort of dimensionalize it in my head from a year to year and from a lifetime um, potential value. So when I think about, you know, we were talking to a company, we're talking to a company right now that we've already invested in um, called Emulate, who's doing alternatives to animal testing. Mm -hmm. And they're doing these little teeny tiny chips that, that basically mimic a liver and things like that. And we were talking about, hey, we really should pull all these groups together and start figuring out what animals are tested where and how, and then are these technologies able to you know, replace that? And what would it need to replace that? Because who's looking at, I mean, PETA might be looking at that, but they don't have what I had. They don't, they can't see what emulates doing. They mm -hmm. don't know what the startups are doing. They can't, right? Yeah. So they have their information. I have my information. Why don't we work together to try to figure out if some of these companies can already be eliminating these animal tests. And if I can eliminate one animal test by the end of this year, I'd be happy, you know, and then another one next year and then another mm -hmm. one the year after that. And if when I die, I would have helped put my little pebble of sand to bring in clean meat into a market, I will die happy. And you have to sort of contextualize it and like, if I got one person to eat mm -hmm. a plant-based burger, if I got one person to, that's huge because how many of us are doing that one, right? Mm -hmm. um, and just it, conceptualize it in that way to that keeps me motivated. That keeps me getting up every morning. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we would not be here if people didn't think like that. If people like Bruce um, Friedrich didn't exist, right? And exactly. Stay committed to what he was doing then, and look at what he's doing now with the Good Food Institute. Um, and what's happening with clean meat, it was just a kind of a science fiction idea and we're mm -hmm. getting closer and closer to it. So yes. um, I'm going to step back a little bit because the future is very exciting, but yes. let's let's first finish the early days of uh, Straight Out Capital. So when you got started um, mm -hmm. and you were trying to figure out, okay, this is my new job now, <laughs> did you model what you were going to do based on some other mission or impact investors? Where did you go turn for advice? And then how did you find your first company and which company was that? Yeah, great question. Right, so there were I, many questions there. No, no, no. I, so, I, so you had Chris Kerr mm -hmm. from New Crop Capital here uh, last week or very recently. Yeah. Um, I was listening to him and he is... He He's just a, such a generous person with his time and his uh, blessings and his treasure and, um, you know, in terms of abilities. And so he took me under his wing when I started out and I was like, I know absolutely nothing. I got a brain. I got a desire to do this. Um, what is venture capital? Step one, you know, and he, he really helped me out and, um, got me to a place where I could take it from there, you know? And from there I, I leveraged other people as I knew people. I'm an eternal student, right? Again, those seeds. So <laughs> I'm always like trying to learn from anybody that I find. I got myself into the Kaufman fellows program, mm -hmm. which is about venture capital, uh, learning and networking to get even better at what I do. But he was essential in getting me from don't know anything to, you know, at least can evaluate a company properly. Um, and so he was in, and Bruce Friedrich and just, there was a group of people that really, we helped each other out uh, and we continue to do that to this day. Wow. And then how did the sort of the first investments come about when you set up the fund and how big is the fund also? Um, so we don't, so we uh, have invested, we have 26 companies so mm -hmm. far and we don't have a maximum that we want to get to. We will mm -hmm. invest as opportunities come up. Um, and in terms of companies, you know, we initially, uh, we would get our deal flow through people that we knew, whether it be Chris or Bruce or, you know, whoever, um, as because we, between new crop capital and straight out capital, we were basically, and Collar foundation, 
we were basically the three games in town ish mm. because colors in london uh and and so people would find us too you know they would say mission base venture capital and then we would come up and so i would get a lot of deal flow that way as well got it and then did that is that how the idea for the glass wall the syndicate start tell me more about yeah. that people may not know what that is sure so about two so about a year let's see about a year ish in um after i started investing and we started investing at stray dog um what i found is that as we continued investing other investors other interested people would come to me and say hey can i invest in your fund well we're we're not we're mm -hmm. private funds so we're we don't take outside capital at this point neither does new york capital there was really no place and so we said okay hey i you know i can't take that but why don't I help you? Why don't I help you invest? And so as I'm looking at deal flow, I will share it with you. Mm -hmm. If you don't know how to do diligence, do due diligence, I'll share my investment memo. I'll help you with that. You know, let's collaborate. And I started putting together a weekly email that went out to this list. It started out being five people and then 15 people and then 20. By the time we hit 30, I said, there's interest. There's a mm -hmm. lot of interest out there. And so then I started formalizing it and I gave it a name, Glasswell Syndicate. And so it went from, you know, two, a little bit over two years ago from five through the three of us. And then from there, five to 10 to now we have 105 investors. It's grown incredibly fast. And I get, I spend 50% of my time taking calls from people who are interested in investing in the space, mm -hmm. who are passionate about it, who want to learn how to do it, who, you know, don't get access to the deal flow but want to want to invest in these companies that we do get access to. So it's it's just been an incredible experience. And now you're mostly focused on early stage. We are, um, yes. Okay, and all of these investors that are now part of this syndicate are also, uh, are they some of them individuals as well? Yes, or? we have a lot of individuals, trusts, foundations, mm -hmm. VCs, a little bit of everything. Wow. So, but things have started to really change in, uh, even in the investment world. And I was talking mm -hmm. to Chris about this as well, but, um, you know, now... You have um, everyone from General Mills to um, to Kellogg's mm -hmm. and others who are looking at this space. Yes, um, because you know maybe even three or four years ago, right? There were a bunch, handful of people, including you, that were doing this because they saw this as one way mm -hmm. to bring about change and and reform our food system. Now people are getting into it because um, they're seeing the the the, the monetary potential Absolutely. of it. So. How do you collaborate, work with um, um, sort of more uh, corporate funds? Um, do they reach out to you mm -hmm. to get... Because I see this as you all, you can almost be like kind of the stepping stone to future investments Correct. or future partners for, mm -hmm. for these companies. Yeah, we become a feeder to them. And I actually saw this transition to corporate VCs, even when I was at Procter & Gamble, because we are, as our R&D budget went down... And the company needs for innovation went up, you know, they wanted the next billion dollar brand. Who's going to be the next Swiffer, for example. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard to do that internally, but you could look outside, outside the company and be like, Oh, I'll pick you up. And there's a Swiffer, you know, and we will add the heft of Procter and Gamble's muscle distribution systems. And so lots of different corporations have seen this, not only as a potential to help their internal innovation grow very quickly, and to be efficient about it because they grab the one idea that's already been proven to, you know, succeed. And then they just put more gas on it. Right. Um, but also in terms of seeing where the market is heading to, because many times big companies can be a little bit of an echo chamber mm -hmm. and these startups have to have a true solution to a true problem to survive. So by nature of the business, they have to be agile and they have to be good. 
And so they see that as an innovation opportunity. And we are a feeder to those companies. So what we've done is over time develop some relationships and we have a lot of more of those to develop to then say, hey, we've de-risked this. Like our, I, I talk to the investors about this all the time. When I look at Glasswell Syndicate, when I look at Stray Dog, New Crop, you know, we de-risk these companies. We take them when they're babies. You yeah. know, we take them when they're an idea and a hope and, you know, strings put together. And we're like, we think that's going to be good. Mm-hmm. We de-risk them when people are nervous, investors are nervous about it. And once they've been de-risked and they're in a good place, then we can pass them on to institutional investors or corporate VCs or anything like that. Um, very recently, I was uh, contacted by a, a meat processing company who wants to talk more about how can we work together to pass companies to them too in terms mm-hmm. of growth and things like that. And that has its own set of you know people pro and against. But I think that mm-hmm. that shows a desire to adapt um, yeah. and to do something different. And it's surprising. Yeah, I mean, as long as the the money is going in to do something positive. Um... Exactly. Like, um, I think Chris was the one who said it. The animals don't care. Yeah, the animals don't care. <laughs> so they really don't. It's mm-hmm. a net positive. Now, before um, we're going to talk more about food, but um, you did mention animal testing and you're investing in mm-hmm. companies that are working on alternatives to that. What else do you focus on? Um, what's the investment thesis? Yeah. Um, beyond, of course, ridding animals from, you, I said the food system, but it looks like beyond that. Yeah. So our uh, investment thesis is removing animals from the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So we take that very broadly. So our investments are very focused on food because we think that food has such a large place to play um, and that there's so much opportunity in food. But we do have other investments. We have technology investments. We have this investment in, in biotech. Um, so we do see other places of opportunity for us to bring something to the market that will really make a difference in livelihoods, animal livelihoods, and, and um, welfare. Uh, but we really, really love these food investments because I think that's where you truly exact change. You know, um, mm-hmm. there is a lot of, of of research done and. Once you start doing something, then you sort of say, oh, yeah, that makes sense because of this. You sort of find the reason after you start doing it. And so if you can get somebody to start doing Meatless Mondays and they become a, you know, mm-hmm. reducitarian. Oh, yeah, I'm a reducitarian, right? Um, and once you get them to three days and they're like, maybe a part-time vegetarian, you know? And so it's like just we got to get them these options that are irresistible to them mm-hmm. and just super obvious, whether it be because they're everywhere and they're incredibly cheap and they're better for you. Um, and that's what we seek to find. Right. And so looking at the, the food space and what's happening now, especially with plant-based foods, uh, clean meat is, we'll get to that. It's, it's still a few years out, I think, right. uh, unless you think there someone's going to do it this year. Um, what do you, what are the trends you're most excited about? When you look at the landscape, you probably meet all kinds of really interesting entrepreneurs. You probably know the space inside out. Where's the most excitement? Yeah. I think so for me, it's there's a couple of different buckets that I'm really excited about. There's the um, more economical with better kind of proteins bucket. And mm-hmm. I, there's like two uh, adjacent areas there. But the first one is, you know, we tend to use soy. We tend to use pea. We have a lot of that. Um, there's all kinds of other plant-based proteins that we haven't even explored or used or leveraged. And so there's a huge opportunity to get things that are better for you. Um, that provide more of a nutritional profile, a higher nutritional profile uh, that we just haven't really explored. And the second piece is, you know, we 
So I, last year, there was a, um, a report that came out that said that meat consumption had gone up after many, 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 many years of it declining, right? And there was a lot of why, why is this happening? And the, the hard truth is that it is because of price. Mm-hmm. So if we can't get to a point where we can beat meat by price, it's going to be a really hard hill to climb. If we can get to a point where we can beat it or match it at a minimum, um, I think we got something. And so getting these companies, some of these companies to get to that price curve where they can beat me, they can be in schools because why wouldn't you buy this when this is the same price and right. much better for you, right? Mm-hmm. Again, that irresistibility. I am really excited about entrepreneurs who are working on that. Um, the clean meat space, we'll talk about that later, but also this whole idea of, of the f- entire you know tactile experience. I think Beyond Meat has done a really good job of this. We've been really focused on, okay, let's make a nugget that looks like a nugget that looks like a nugget, um, where companies like Impossible Foods, Beyond Meat, they're really focusing on the whole experience. What does it look like? What is it like? What does it, what level of juiciness is it? Um, does it have when you bite into it? Does it change color? Like it ha- there's the, the human experience is so multi-leveled. And sometimes I think we oversimplify things when we provide a product. Um, but every food conference that I've been to, there's a lot of conversations about this whole idea of personalized nutrition, personalized uh, food. And we're human, as humans, we're heading in that direction. So how do we start thinking about the whole experience when we have a product um, and that then we add all these other elements you know, I was talking to a company yesterday that are looking at um, a replacement product, no surprise there, and they're making it like very prebiotic, you know, focused, and they're adding other things that make it even more attractive than this just plain old cow's milk, for example. Mm-hmm. I see. So let's, I'm going to pick up on the price point that you mentioned. What is the the barrier to price right now? Is it, I know there's a few things. It's not just um, the fact that I mean, you have to be able to produce something and then produce it at scale right. um, for you to be able to be a, have it reach a grocery store and, and mm-hmm. be a competitive, price competitive with meat. Correct. But there's another factor, too, which is uh, you kind of touched on it, which is ingredients, mm-hmm. right? And I've, I talked to um, Ethan Brown as well about this, yes. which was um, what the problem is you, you right now your options for plant proteins are so limited. They're completely And limited. even if you had to discover... The, the perfect plant protein that's yes. even better than pea protein. Right. There is no supply chain to Not yet. to be able to, to... But that's a business opportunity right there. Exactly. So, yeah. so so let's talk about the challenges. Is it, you know, sure. what is it, what are the barriers to uh, plant proteins being, say, you know, three years down the line, mm-hmm. being something that everyone wants to potentially include in their diet uh, versus this, you know, once the hype dies down, which we are right. going, where, where many, what's going to get us to that point where yeah. people are adopting it? And I think it's got to be priced and additional benefits, right? So mm-hmm. I think, so I, I traveled to Europe recently and, um, and there, you know, I went to this whole vegan supermarket in Germany and uh, there was a lot of products of, made with lupin, lupin, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm like, what is this lupin? I've never seen this before. You know, so there are other sources of protein in different areas used in different ways that I think step one is how do we leverage that in the United States? Can we get some of the agricultural um, um, help from the government mm-hmm. subsidies, subsidies, right? 
how can we get some of the subsidies to cover some of this alternative protein? Because I don't know if I, I actually was in a meeting with Ethan Brown, which I have nothing but respect for him. He's amazing. Mm -hmm. And he articulated this so beautifully. He said, even in the energy department, he said this when he talked to you. No. <laughs> okay. Even in the energy department and the government, there's an alternative energy group. Yeah. There's a group for alternative energy. They're funded. They have, you know, money to invest, right? We don't have an alternative protein department in the ag group, right? Um, and so how do we either figure out a way to leverage the proteins that we need and we want within the existing subsidies, right? But just expand it in that direction or start going after this department of alternative protein so we can get some of the subsidies that make meats so cheap, animal-based proteins in general yeah. so cheap. Um, I think equipment is another big opportunity. You know, right now it's been very much a, I'll take an extruder, boop, and then you make the product in there. Everybody's kind of doing the same thing with equipment. Right. Um, and there's some companies looking at this, but there's an opportunity to really say, okay, here's the output of what I want. I need it to be this price so I can get into the, you know, Wisconsin schools. And here's the, here's the, what the product needs to look like. Here are the characteristics and how do we engineer a process with equipment that then delivers that price without those characteristics that has not been done either. Mm. Yeah. And you said the other, so price, I guess is, is we're still working on it. Mm -hmm. I guess that's your yes, answer. It is. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, but what I liked is you pointed, there are areas where there's opportunity yes. in, in research or, you know, robotics for equipment, who knows what. Absolutely. That can help in, in, in helping us take that leap where we yeah. discover a new protein and then we're able to bring it to market yes, um, and turn it into a product that'll, that'll hit shelves soon. Now, you touched on um, the other part, which is um, exciting, which is companies that are also looking to provide not just uh, replacements to mm -hmm. animal-based foods, but enhanced replacements. Absolutely. Um, so I guess my question here is a little tricky one, which mm -hmm. is, and you probably heard this a bunch of times, which is a lot of um, foods in this space, plant-based proteins, milks, tend to sometimes get criticized because of um, what they also contain in it that um, the, right. the real, quote-unquote, real thing doesn't contain. Yeah. Um, how important is that for you when you're talking to entrepreneurs who are coming to you with saying, we have a new product that is um, that is great in this category. Um, how concerned are you about things like um, processed oils and additives and preservatives? Right. Given you know, one thing is that people are shifting towards more plant-based proteins, but people are also shifting to more cleaner foods. So, how do those two trends yeah. kind of meet each other? And are you seeing a real focus on that right now? So, for us as investors, you know, I want to. This is an overuse word but a phrase and i'm still gonna use it i want to meet people where they are you mm -hmm. know i if you are a, a huge meat eater and you want to start making some progress towards eating less meat but you still what do you like about meat? where i like that it tastes this way or that it smells this way or it gives me it makes me feel this way how can i provide a product that does that even better for you in whatever dimension that looks like it could be because it's cheaper it could be because instead of saturated fats it gives you actually prebiotics you know mm -hmm. or probiotics um, it could be in many dimensions better for you the experience is better it's just better for you all the way to you know i so i have beyond meat in my portfolio from um, the beyond burger uh, having all kinds of ingredients in there um, all the way to i also have good seed burger who also has a burger obviously mm -hmm. in their um portfolio among other things and the burger is super whole foods very much so very few ingredients very 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 nice um, and both 
products and both companies are fantastic and they serve sometimes different people. Sometimes it's the same person mm -hmm. in different days. And I want to offer variety and options. And that's as an investor, that's what I want to bring to the table is, you know, if I were to have a portfolio that all looks whole foods and plant based, mm -hmm. I think that would be difficult for me to have a balanced portfolio and really, really offer people the slate of things that they want. Right. Um, and so I really look for anything that I think is going to fulfill a need and be you know, delightful for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can get go too down that rabbit hole where you try to focus on the, that perfect solution and yes. you lose sight of what problem you're trying to solve. Actually. You have to be balanced in everything in life. Right. So, I mean, let's talk about which parts of this plant-based food space would you recommend a wannabe entrepreneur hmm. not start a company? Not start a because company. Because <laughs> it's too saturated or there's too much competition. Oh, I get so many uh, business plans on um, supplements and mm. uh, smoothies. Okay. Yes, so many. Uh, and it's a growing area, mm -hmm. but it's really hard to get differentiated and do something different. So that's a really tough area. I think uh, good in a good way, uh, non-dairy milks have exploded mm. hugely. I mean, from it was just soy or not soy, right? Yeah. All the way to... Uh, you know, macadamia nut milk. I tried that in Expo last year and hazelnut milk and anything that can be milked has been milked, you yeah. know? So there's just this like plethora of non-dairy options. I, I think the category is really tough to win in that direction. Yeah. So I would take one that either, either you have an unfair advantage and um, you're bringing something so incredibly different and unique. So for example, if somebody brought me a yogurt product and I said, well, there's quite a lot of competition in non-dairy yogurts mm -hmm. right now. There wasn't, you know, two years ago, it was just yeah. basically silk and so delicious. And now, you know, a lot of people, including Kai Hill, which is one of our companies, have been putting out fantastic yogurts. Still a lot of sugar. Yogurt has a lot of sugar mm -hmm. in general. Yeah. For non-dairy or dairy. And if you were to come and say, hey, I have a yogurt, you know, product. And I was like, yeah, lots of competition in there. But it has, you know, zero sugar. And because it's made with lupin, loop back the lupin, you right, know, whatever right, that right. looks like. Oh, wow. That is completely different. That yeah. solves a need that people want, that they love yogurt, but it's too sugary. And, mm -hmm. you know, so if you have an unfair advantage, maybe you have a place to play in a, in a crowded category. If there's, if you don't, then it's, you know, stay away from the ones that already have a ton of competition. Right. And what do you think about um, beverages? I mean, you mentioned smoothies. Is the is a beverage space something you focus on a lot? Because as insanely competitive as that space seems yes. to be, there's always a new company that seems <laughs> to break through and uh, provide a product that people actually want. And yeah. so... I think there's a lot of room. Somehow there's a lot of room there, even though there it's is, so crowded. Yeah. I know. I agree. I think it is because there is a certain level of differentiation that's been happening. I mean, a, a couple of years ago, we were looking at this product that was basically eight ounce uh, non-dairy milk, but fortified and it had all kinds of different tastes to it. And, and that's become a whole category out to all on its own, let alone all the kombuchas of the world, you mm -hmm. know? So I think beverage is a very flexible category that could potentially accept new entrants. It just shouldn't be another kombucha drink, for example. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think within the plant-based uh, milk category, even uh, you're seeing companies that are offering um, beverages that are based on plant-based milks, but with, you know, functional Absolutely. foods, adaptogenic ingredients, yes. mushrooms, all yeah. kinds of things. And, that, and those have been growing. They've been doing really well. So, I mean, it's, it's just so much you can, you can really focus on one small category and there's a lot. Um, yes. You have to have a sort of, you know, and I, I was just telling this to someone, you have to have your $50 million plan, you know, as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur. 
Like if I, so sometimes an entrepreneur, I'll be talking to an entrepreneur and they'll be, they'll have maybe a hundred thousand dollar business, let's say. And they're doing this what the fun, let's use the functional milk beverage as an example. They're doing the functional milk beverage. They're doing pretty well. They have some good run rates. And I say to them, uh, and they're like, so what, why are you not a $10 million company? Mm -hmm. Well, because I don't have enough money. Okay. So if I give you $5 million, could you get to $10 million? And they're like, Hmm, I don't think so. You know, it's not only the money. So you really have to, as an entrepreneur, always have your $50 million plan in your mind. What, when I am a $50 million revenue company, what would I look like? What would I do? How many product lines would I have? What adjacencies would I have? Because if you come at me with the functional beverage, I might be like, eh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, here's my big, massive business plan idea that starts with the beverage, but they move to this and right. goes to that. And this is why this all goes together. And we have an unfair advantage that we're going to leverage across in this way. And and then I'm like, okay, so my $5 million goes towards doing this. Mm-hmm. And it's all nicely mapped out. And even for yourself, you have to know what that looks like, you know? So you're not, so you're not, safe to say you're not interested in small opportunities. No. It has to have a big impact because Absolutely. otherwise you're not. I mean, monetarily for animals as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think going back to the supplements, you know, when I think it is technically in our thesis because it does potentially could replace a cow milk based beverage. But if I look at that next to something that's replacing bacon, you know, I mean, there's no, it's, that's a no brainer. Yeah. And not to say those aren't good businesses. They just may not be the right business to get, um, investment Correct. for, for at probably... least for, from straight up capital, you know, there's all kinds of firm with different. Right. Do you invest in restaurants, for example, or we do? Okay. Yeah. We have a, we have one restaurant, uh, in our portfolio. Okay. And, and that's, is it a, is it a chain or is it, that's the, not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> I guess not yet is the answer. They're, they're opening in March in Denver. So they're called Meta Burger. Okay. Uh, so more to come on that. Interesting. Can't wait. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. I mean, restaurants are risky. But, restaurants uh, so risky, so tricky, but such a potential beautiful place to really impact animals. And um, these, these, this, this group um, approaches it in such a very efficient model. It's mm-hmm. they're sort of like a you know again going back to the fifty million dollar plan. They look at it and they're like, we're going to be potentially the McDonald's of this type of food. And here's why we're going to be, here's how our system looks like. Here's what the product line, here's why these efficiencies are built in. Mm -hmm. They're thinking in such great detail about how they're going to get to the 20 cent burger that Mm -hmm. then they're going to be able to, you know, pay their next, be profitable and then pay their next and the next and the next one. Um, So I am always attracted to those entrepreneurs that can really think about the big picture and the big, big idea, you know, you should always be thinking that because it's so easy to get caught on the day-to-day fires, which there are, you know, nonstop, as you well know. Um, and then when on, when an investor comes to you to the, to, mm-hmm. and wants to give you money, they want to know that it's not going to go to you, you know, paying for like the, the Amex bill that you, they really needs to go towards yeah. really building that $50 million business. Yeah. That's such a key thing. I mean, for any entrepreneur, no matter what, what industry you're in to keep in mind is that it's very easy to get caught up in your business and just keeping it running. And it could be any business, even if you're servicing 10 customers, it right. takes effort to do that where you'll never get that 11th and 12th customer because you're not spending any time thinking about exactly. that or planning for that. Exactly. And instead, you're just trying to stay above water somehow. Absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, it is, um, you know, I'm sure you get 
experienced entrepreneurs, but you also probably get a lot of first timers. Absolutely. All the what, time. What is like the, the biggest mistake or misconception they tend to have about outside money? I think you kind of answered that earlier yeah. with the, you know, more money will solve the problem. Yes. For which sure. is unless you know what to do with the more money, it's not, it's, it's going to be a problem for you. Absolutely. Um, you know, and it, and the whole valuation question is also mm. a, the Silicon uh, Valley, the show. Silicon Valley, yeah. I love that show. They, they had this whole thing about valuation and how much your company is worth. And yeah. he, you know, their advice that he got was, you know, don't like, put a valuation in your company of $300 million and then not even remotely be able to achieve the revenue that you need to sustain that and then have a down round and everybody gets diluted more yeah. like than anybody else you. And so having a conversation with especially first time entrepreneurs or younger entrepreneurs about, you know, you have to be very careful about how you value your company so you can still feed investment into it, mm. but under promise over deliver every single time. Even if you have a fantastic company that's growing amazingly, if you go from one round to the next and your valuation of your company went down, it just doesn't look as good as if, right. hey, we, we, you know, we promised you this and we delivered two times that and now our valuation is going to go up, you know, because that's what investors like to see. Yeah. And so given you've been doing this for a few years now, three years, do you think this is a temporary honeymoon period we're going through that's going to end soon? No. Um, and why not? I, you know, uh, when I talk to, especially people who are outside the plant-based world, mm. um, especially older people, uh, because this is really, I mean, what, what I see and what I see where I'm sitting at and when I try to convey to other people that I talk to about my excitement for the space is that I see it as inevitable because we have so many mega trends happening that are colliding at exactly the same time. It would be one thing if it was, hey, you know, there's millennials, largest cohort ever, eat, are three times more likely to eat vegetarian meals. So even if that was the only thing, that would be large enough. But you got that, you got human health crises, right, in, develop, in the U.S. and other developed countries as well as developing countries are coming right behind us with all kinds of issues with obesity and diabetes and heart attacks, et cetera. So you have that whole thing. You have the sustainability piece of the earth just cannot physically fit as many humans as we're going to have by 2050 just we it literally does not fit mm -hmm. and so you have all these pieces people you know with the adage of the internet people are finding out more and more how animals are raised and now you know we've seen in the past year great advancement source k tree and things like that and so i so i see all these mega trends and i see this as inevitable i think people are going to start eating differently um, I think that other investors are going to come in because all these companies are that are, in my mind, reason to be valued. Those are going to make great investments when they IPO or when they get acquired. Because right now it's not it's not as frothy as I think it's going to get. Where these valuations are probably going to triple um, in the next couple of years. Once once the institutionals get in and then there's like mm -hmm. all this money everywhere. Um, and I think that'll be good because these companies need the hundred million dollar investments to get to the, the Walmart stores and to get to all the target distribution stores. So you are from believer that the train has left the station. This is the future. I we really are do. going. There's no turning back now. I believe so. And, I do. you know, and I want to bring back a point you mentioned earlier, which is important. Um, the fact that the meat industry is reaching out and not just yes. not only invest reaching out investing in, yes. in companies in the space partnering with ingredient yeah. companies uh, is a sign that this is this there's, there's no we we cannot we cannot think this is some lucky streak we're going through right. and we're actually 
we are building the future food system yes. and it's maybe early on and there's a lot of work to be done, yeah. but that, that, that is happening right now. And yeah. I think that's a crucial point because to answer the other issue about subsidies, that's the only way we can get subsidies to change. If you have Correct. the meat industry yeah. now having um, a stake in the game, yes. then they're going to do a lot more to yeah. make sure that their new businesses or new investments Absolutely. also prosper. So I think it's, you know, what makes it exciting. It's, it's this confluence of um, purpose yes. meeting the practicalities of profit, which definitely. is definitely going to happen. And I think and that's yeah. the best investment to have. Yeah. And I, you know, if you think about a Tyson or anything like that, they're not in the business of, of animals. They're in the business of making money and mm. the business of, of racing animals, even in the hyper efficient, and I'm using quote marks here, hyper efficient CAFO system, you know, and in that system, is it's, it's messy, it's dirty. There's all kinds of sanitation and human health crises and bad press, you know, if they can get, and this is Lisa's, you know, assumption, <laughs> but if they can get into the business of still making meat, quote unquote, mm -hmm. but doing it in a way that doesn't mess with any of that, why wouldn't they? That would make no sense for them to say, no, we want to stay with the manure pits and the EPA breathing down our neck and us being, you know, the HN1 coming out of, our, you know, like yeah. that it makes no sense. If, you, if they can still make meat and we can bring a Memphis meat or a super meat into their facilities and they can still produce and package the meat as we see it today, but it's done in a completely different way that doesn't include animals, you know, um, why it just, it, it just, it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't, Yeah, you know? I mean, I've always have said this for seven years now to a lot of people don't say that much anymore because now I can give them real examples, but I, I think that people who run factory farms aren't bad people necessarily. They are just victims of an existing economic system that mm -hmm. values profit over everything else. Absolutely. And if they could make money selling or growing and selling bananas, the same amount of money or more versus yeah. torturing an animal, yeah. they would all do that. Yeah. And so we just need uh, to make bananas exciting. Absolutely. We're not making bananas exciting, but we're going to make plant-based protein Correct. and clean and, meat, which is yeah, a good segue I mean, into the it's next It's got to be affordable. It's got to make sense with us. Because if you can get a, a Tyson to fight your battle for you with Walmart and say, I want this you know, clean meat uh, packaged product right next to my own packaged product in the freezer, it goes a long way versus you know that one company being like, hey, we would like to be in the meat locker too, you know. So I, I be having these companies as allies, I think could, could be a powerful thing. So let's talk about clean meat. Um, I don't want to talk too much about it because mm -hmm. I, I think it's not that I don't think it's exciting. Um, <laughs> I, I talk a lot about it. I had Paul Shapiro on recently. Oh, uh, awesome. His book was great. Yes. Um, my question to you is, which company do you think is going to have a product on the market first? Oh, wow. That's What's a your tough prediction? question. That I would, I would, that would be impossible for me to say because we've invested in, I would say, most uh, outside Hampton Creek of mm -hmm. the of the clean meat companies. So we have all of them, and they're all they're all looking to come to market pretty quickly. Um, and again, I'm not privy to what Hampton Creek is doing, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think we will see a lot of stuff in 2019 if I were to be a guessing woman. It will be small and it will be very specific places, but it will be out there. And that to me is super exciting. And what is the likelihood that um, a big uh, meat producer or processor will swoop in and license one of some of this technology and bring it to market themselves? Yeah, I think. Is it a possibility? I absolutely think so. Yeah, I think that at some point, if. 
So the, the hurdle that these companies have to go through is not only they still, there's things that still need to be quote unquote invented. You know, this, there's yeah. not a, like a, here's a path. We just step one step, but you know, they, they have to do a lot of science and technology development. Um, if these companies can get to a point and I believe they will to where they're like, okay, we reprove that if you put a brewery here, you can brew this, this is the amount it's throughput that the meat companies can swoop in and very easily then make that in to scale and put that to scale and do it themselves as opposed to, you know, Memphis meats trying to do it themselves. So I think it's a pretty high likelihood. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch to see yes. what happens. I think at, at this be. point it's, it's still fairly early, but, yeah. um, but we're finally at that point where we're Soon. even having a discussion around it. I know is... it's crazy. I mean, when we invest Memphis meats was the first company we invested in, in the clean meat space. And they didn't, they didn't even have the meatball when we invested in them. It was before the meatball. So it was all like, Uma, you know, writing on, on, a, on a board, like, this is what it's going to look like. And we're like, okay. Uh, and so to see the meatball, the way to, you know, what they've been producing and showing has been just exhilarating. Yeah. I, I want to talk about Uma a little bit because I think it's a good segue into what I want to go into next. Uma visited us right in the beginning before the meatball as well. Um, and he was just the most delightful person I'd met, amazing. most genuine, yes. focusing on this problem. And I almost couldn't believe that this is what he was going to do. Yeah. Um, and I and I remember that day I had my team take a photo and I said, we're going to need this photo. It's going to be one of yes. those photos that people will see yeah, 20 yeah. years down the line and be like, that was the guy who, right? who, who made it happen. I mean, he was in the cover ink. Did you see yeah, that? I That's did. Incredible. I did. So, you know, the reason I bring up Uma is to what extent is the entrepreneur, mm -hmm. um, a, of course, it's a factor in, in, in making investment decisions. But oh, wow. mm -hmm. if you look at your portfolio today, yeah. um, it's very clear some of, your, some of the companies come to you before they've really thought through everything. Right. Um, what is it that you look for? Um, the product, obviously. Yeah. How important is the entrepreneur? What, what are your oh key my gosh. factors you're looking it, for? It's basically almost all the decision at the early stage that we invest in as the entrepreneurs, which are usually more than one. Mm -hmm. I've learned to be more cautious about single single founders, just because when you're when you're doing a startup, it's a stressful process. It's a tough road ahead, and it's you lonely. never <laughs> it's lonely, absolutely, and you never have all the skill sets either. You need mm -hmm. sort of like the person with like whoever your yin to your yang, and I found that those companies end up being growing quicker and be more balanced etc. Um, but I digress. I, so I, I look for the entrepreneur and entrepreneurs and co-founders first because they could have a fantastic product, but if they're, they don't, they don't have grit, they don't have determination. They, if they don't look like they can motivate and really paint a picture and get other people motivated, I think, you know, Uma is a great example of somebody who can really paint the picture for you. You can see where this is going, you know, and when you can, envision this future you can get people both investors and, and team members to stick with you when you can't pay them anything when you know you're like in the corner of your mom's basement right and so to have and and so great because every single company that we have in our portfolio we have 26 we have quite a lot every single one of them has gone through hardships at some point or even doesn't doesn't look like it from the outside they all look like it's been smooth sailing no problem here all of them bar none have gone through tough times whether it be they almost running out of money, like very close to they got delisted somewhere very important to they can't get the product on shelf to co-packer suing them. I mean, everything in the book I've seen and continue to see. 
And if you don't have grit and determination to go over those hurdles that will continue to come your way, it's really hard for you to be successful and keep your energy and your motivation and your drive to move forward. So grit to me is very important. Humility, because the buck stops with you as co-founders. And if you made a mistake, I need to understand that you know that, that it's not always John over there, the VP of what, whatever, or Mary, the VP over there. It's always like the, it needs to, in my mind, needs to be a person that can understand and learn from their mistakes because they're going to make them, can be open to other people's input because they don't know everything. And so having that skill set is very important to me to observe. Sometimes I will just give them feedback to see how they react. And I'll be like, I don't think this is a good idea because of this and that and see how they take it um, and how they react to that. And so there, and there are elements of creativity and thinking out of the box because you start with a product, but then wherever you thought you were going to go and that, you know, being super competitive or you can never find anybody to take you, you have to make it hard left and go into a new product direction. So being, having somebody that can either envision that direction and product pipeline, or can be very, very scrappy about getting the people on the bus that can do that is super important as well. So when I look at a company, the product is great, but even if you have the best product, if you don't have all the other characteristics is going to be really hard for you to get our investment. Right. And of course, you have to have that vision at the end oh, of yeah. the day. You, you, you the brought that up. The $50 million dollar vision. Yeah. Yes. Um, what are the red flags that will make you not invest in, in someone? Is it something, you know, based on your, you don't yes. have to name names, obviously. Absolutely. But... I think single co-founders worry me. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, I think that when you, there's a level of humility and a level of collaboration that you have to have when you have somebody else working with you 50-50. And I love that. Be um, somebody who is not completely straightforward. You ask them a question and they talk around it. It's like the salesperson-y, you know, Um, that you can never, there's like a trust. The trust is not exactly there because you can never get a straight answer or clear numbers or transparency. Um, That's always been a red flag. How they treat people. You know, Mm. I've had, um, when I do my reference checks around entrepreneurs and I'll find one person here, another person there who says, oh, he said this to me or she said that to me. And. I mean, I think it's super important that you as a person have integrity mm-hmm. and uh, that you are able to conduct a business. It doesn't matter what pressures you have with, um, in, again, integrity. Because once I give you the money, I don't know what you're doing when the tough decision comes and, and the retailer saying, are you or are you not organic test, you know, certified? And you're like, sure. <laughs> so I, there's got to be a level of, of integrity that, that I can get to by asking questions and talking to people around you. Um, and in all those, I've, I've run into entrepreneurs that either we've uh, been close to investing or have invested and then have learned these lessons along the way. Right. You know, and at the end of the day, you have to keep in mind that we're talking about um, companies in a building the better food system. And yes. if we can't operate with integrity and transparency, right. then uh, we're just definitely doing the wrong thing. Right. We shouldn't be in this business. I will add one more is mm-hmm. I, I love people who are mission oriented because there's mm-hmm. a lot of heart behind that. Uh, I know that there will be, they will make this happen just by sheer heart, but it, it has to be, you have to have a balance between being pragmatic and, and being mission oriented. You know, there's some, there's a place for like, I'm going to take the high road for the animals and there's a place for, I'm going to get the cheaper packaging that might not be recyclable because yeah. You know, I need to get to profitability and this is, needs to last me to that point. So there's not got to be a balance between those two. Yeah, I, I, that's why, you know, I know you mentioned Ethan as well. I like, uh, I find I really like Ethan too, because I think if he has that right balance, yes, he does. Um, at least in my interactions with him, yes. uh, the way he thinks about things, he truly believes 
in what he's doing. And yes. he has this crazy focused mission yes. um, plan and kind of true north for his company Absolutely. to replace, to, to make meat, ex- just make it from plants. I know. He's got the big vision. I and actually have a funny story about Ethan. Sure, Do go ahead. Do we have time for that? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> I visited Ethan. Um, there were two of us from Stray Dog. This is like two and a half years ago. And we visited him, and not in the location there now, the one before. And we're sitting with him, and somebody brought him a pig for his birthday. Like a little <laughs> cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. Like just a teeny, maybe like 10-pound pig that somebody had, um, that they had rescued. <laughs> and they just gave this pig to this, to Ethan. And Ethan, you know, he has dogs. He has a lot of kids. And so he's like, okay, I'll take the pig. You know, it's like this little cute thing. And I saw him maybe three or four months ago. And I was like, how's the pig? I think Wilbur's his name. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, well, he's he's so smart. You know, he opens the fridge and he's able to do all the stuff that my dogs can do. But the only problem is that, you know, I, when I, I, he won't go down the stairs. So, and so I have to pick him up. Uh, or maybe it was up the stairs. I think it was up the stairs. I have to pick him up to take him upstairs at the end of the day to go to sleep. And by the time I'm at the top of the stairs, I am out of breath and I am tunnel visioning. And I'm like, I mean, you've seen Ethan. He's a really <laughs> tall guy, right? He's a big, he's a big guy. Yeah. He's not, he's not a, a weak uh, little person. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Well, Ethan, how much does the pay weigh? And he was like, well, 350 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this. I mean, it turned out to be like of a big. grow. Oh, very oh. big. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh. I can't even imagine Ethan trying to like dig this huge pig up the That's stairs. That's a great story of dedication though. Absolutely. <laughs> so now he's looking for another companion to the pig. That's what oh. Ethan is. He does, when I did ask him what keeps you up at night, he said uh, Wilbur. Uh, yes, that's the name of the yes, thing, right? I yeah. think so. Um, he was, said he was joking, but maybe not. No, now I that don't I heard think this so. story, I think that he's probably not joking. He's trying to take the pig up the stairs. He's going to break his own neck. Yeah. So, you, you know, passion is so important. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he's one who definitely has it. And a lot of others in the space do. Uh, but then that being able to understand that at the end of the day, what is the goal you're trying to meet? Right. Right. And I think he's had to wrestle with some of these issues right. and others in the space have is, do you offer your burger to, uh, to a restaurant that's going to then put cheese on it? Right. Um, and you know, how do you, right. uh, while you personally may not think that's the best use of your product, right. What are you, what problem are you trying to solve for? Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, it's very important. And you did mention this earlier is to, for us to think, outside this bubble sometimes and yeah. be able to say all right you focus on solving that problem let someone else solve the cheese problem absolutely and that's One the only way we're going to bring about change you have to because if that is what gets you into tgi fridays i mean that's yeah. that's you don't have to think twice about that decision. yeah and you know the same i i think people are hopefully starting to understand this is that the only way you bring about change is you change it from the inside and yes. that's why you you work with anyone who's willing to work with yes. you as long as they don't come in and then dilute your products and make Correct. it something that's going to be a, a better but still pretty bad option. Yeah, you have um, to know where your line is for sure. Yeah, but it has to be at a very pragmatic place, that line. Right. And would you invest in a company that doesn't have a product yet? Um, we're not talking about clean meat because yeah. that's a separate issue, but... Uh, say a plant-based X product, but they don't really have a product. They just have this idea for a product because they see 
a white space in some segment and they think, well, we're going to hire the right people and yeah. then do this. Are you skeptical of those kind of plans because they have a fancy deck or it depends on the person? Depends the on people. the situation. I have mm -hmm. invested in those. That, those are not our typical sweet spots, but I haven't, mm -hmm. I invested in a pet food company, uh, a plant-based pet food company who is using um, a different type of protein or C-oriented proteins to, to create completely balanced pet nutrition. And so we looked at, we look at them and we grab them from even the idea stage because we saw that they were incredibly talented and amazing and all, had all the stuff that we talked about before, the grit, the perseverance, the heart, the, um, the vision. And, and so we, we were our, the first money in, I mean, we are still the only money in, they're mm -hmm. still getting to a point of distribution and now they're bringing in additional investors. If there's something that we think there's a big need out there, there's a big gap and we think that somebody's uniquely positioned to do it. We would look at it. We tend to prefer somebody who already has at least a sample, um, but that's not always. Right. Well, you know, there's so much we can uh, talk about. I think we've already uh, gone way above <laughs> the time that we expected to be sitting here. <laughs> so I want to be mindful of your time. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you about your long-term vision of what's going to happen here. If you're, if you're successful, yeah. um, if we are successful, if um, the companies that you invested in are successful, what kind of food system do you envision in 2050, 30 oh, years from now? Yeah. So, you know, a couple of years back when I just started this role, I was looking at a, to invest in a company that was doing mushroom leather. Mm -hmm. And I asked the entrepreneur, um, well, what, it, how does, how is this like leather, like cow leather? And she said, it isn't, you know, uh, it's better than cow leather. It has, it, you know, you can dunk it in a pool and it doesn't get damaged. You can wash it, you know, whatever. Um, there's all these characteristics that make it better than leather. We need to get there with our food too. You know, we need to have something that it's like, here's this product. Well, is it like bacon? No, it's better than bacon. It's going to taste better than bacon. It's going to be good for you. It's going to make you stronger, healthier, better, smarter, whatever that mm -hmm. looks like. It's going to be uniquely tailored to your nutrition needs, et cetera. You know, and in whatever way, shape or form that looks like, we want to bring products into the market that are helping human lives that are helping people become happier, better, you know, have higher level of nutrition instead of being overfed under, uh, and have a, a lower level of nutrition, the opposite. Um, and meanwhile, just sort of like simultaneously really helping and making a huge impact on animal welfare. I mean, at the end of the day, that's our objective, but we know that we need to get to a point where we're offering something so irresistible that there would be no reason why you wouldn't buy this product. And we work and we get up every day to find those products and we work every day to fund them, to grow them, to give them to other better people than us to continue growing them and funding them. Um, because we believe that the talent is out there, the passion is out there, the timing is now. And not only are, you know, we were sort of like among the first to, to come in as investors with this specific, but we're not the only ones anymore. There's so many, I mean, Glasgow Syndicate in two years has over a hundred members. There's people out there who are interested in making this happen. And when there's more money, there'll be more entrepreneurs, more of them will make it over and we'll be able to have this space where, it would, it's impossible that this could be successful because it has more than you would even think to want. I think you're right. So I'm going <laughs> to just end with that. Um, this is, uh, this has been so much fun. I know we just got done, almost done, but I almost, I can't wait to have you back because, oh. <laughs> well, um, thank you. 
Because I think, you know, there's so much to cover and yes. there's so many interesting stories within this space and it is happening on a daily basis. The pace of it is almost dizzying. It is. It's um, amazing. And that's a good thing. So, it is, yeah. So, you know, I'm excited to uh, to have a chance to finally talk to you and meet you in person for the first time. Um, yes. <laughs> and um, we've talked on the phone before and have this amazing conversation so thank you so much for being here today yes absolutely anytime and this is fantastic i love what you guys do um it's not only very informative but it's it, it's done in such an entertaining way and you're so easy to talk to makes it very easy <laughs> thank you so much you've been listening to eat for the planet with nil zacharias if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.